0: Hey, super dave here thank you for joining me for another edition of leading edge interviews where we dig a little deeper into the minds of the people making all that awesome progressive rock and metal that's out there these days if like me you have been paying attention to the prog sphere over the last several years there are a few notable absences in terms of releasing new music during that time in particular opeth pain of salvation well one of those bands that has been absent during that time caligula's horse is about to correct that with a new album dropping january 26th entitled charcoal grace i had the lucky opportunity to sit down and chat with sam Vallon, co-founder guitarist one of the primary songwriters for the band about the new album about the upcoming tour with that and about all the things that make peligula's horse the band that they are so without further ado here is my interview with sam Vallon of peligula's horse good day <laughs> sir how are you doing I'm doing good. Uh, David, right? Good to, yes. good to meet you, man. Nice, nice meeting you as well. Uh, pretty early there where you're at, I imagine, yes?
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's 10 a.m. right now, which is oh. kind of perfect for these kind of things, before my brain goes into decline in the mid-afternoon. So
0: great. <laughs> I know that feeling. <laughs> Actually, a little later than I thought it was going to be. I, I haven't quite figured out the Time difference between U.S. and Australia, so you're actually.
1: All, all just- I know is that when we try and go on tour, it's almost impossible to call our families from like the Americans. Mm. So but yes, it sucks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's more than a bit rough. Well, thank you for joining me uh, this morning, where you're at this evening, where I'm at. It's very cool to talk to you, sir.
1: Yeah, you too, man.
0: So, all right. So I'm very excited to be able to talk about new Caligula's Horse music and such talking from my perspective and a little bit of background is about when I started this bleeding edge gig about well it was 3 years ago this past july so mm. pandemic in full force at that point in time and at that point i also was discovering even as much as i thought i knew the world of progressive rock and metal and all that i had so much to learn i still do and there are some bands that Kind of up to this moment, almost, it was like they were frozen in amber because Mm -hmm. everything I could know about them at that time is everything I can still know about them up to this moment. Now, Opeth being a very notable one, they've not had an album since 2019, Pain Mm -hmm. of Salvation, and of course, Illegula's Horse. And so I'm very excited that there's something new coming out and we get to hear new stuff or I'm already getting to hear some new stuff ahead of the crowd. Um, but it's just it's a great thing and meanwhile I kind of look back and I think wow I wonder what the path has been for you guys during all of that time and I know it began pretty much right off the bat with the cancellation of your first U.S. headlining tour before it even got started so Mm I I'm kind of curious the road that you all have traveled during that time and what you've been dealing with while you've been working on this new album
1: yeah, it's a it's it's a it's a tough one because as you rightly point out, you know we 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 did actually release our previous album right into the pandemic. It sounds like you did exactly the same thing with the launch of your podcast. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is, we 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 really didn't anticipate what would happen when we did that. We when we were finishing tracking and stuff for Rise Radio in twenty nineteen, sort of had probably the best laid plans we've ever had in our career. You know, as you say, we had the U.S. tour. We had basically a bunch of other stuff that sort of followed the, the following 18 months after album release. We had it all mapped out and planned, and it was ready to to just work. Like, it's probably as, as, as organized as we've ever been in terms of yeah. getting everything out of out of an album release. And on top of that, you know, on a slightly more personal note, we really loved that record. Like it it felt like a perfect reflection of who we were at that particular point in time, coming off the bat of all of the touring we'd done previously and kind of building our career, you know, slowly brick by brick up until that point. Yeah. But then we released it into the pandemic and basically everything at that point, maybe even, you know, a couple of months before the album's release, everything was just pushed back indefinitely. So we, as a band started, even before the Rise Radiant release, started living with this idea of, okay, so so who are we now? You know, we're not a band who can go on tour anymore. We're not a band who can kind of do the regular release schedule we would normally do. Who are we? What 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 do we do as musicians in this in this kind of milieu? And the truth is that we we really struggled with it. Like some bands just went to being purely digital and doing tons of live streams and things like that. You know, speaking personally, my, my day job became way harder as I tried to sort of make it work online. We all kind of struggled with these things. And we all also lived with this kind of resentment. I know a lot of bands had this of not being able to experience the sort of plans we had for our previous album. You got to think, you know, like if you're not able to do anything on the back of a record, obviously the clamor immediately becomes, what are you going to do next? And we're just sitting here thinking, well, we haven't done this yet though, (laughs) you know? So we, we had this, um, kind of internal battle, like each of us as individuals and us as a band, um, as to whether we were happy to leave Rise Radiant behind and start working on a new record. And that took quite a while for Mm -hmm. us to finally answer yes to, um, I've sort of described this to some people as like it was almost a kind of writer's block in a way, but writer's block tends to be a bit more abstract. You know, I, I, I can't find a way to write. This was much more like we had all these extrinsic forces kind of pushing against us, just making it difficult to sit down and take seriously the endeavor of what's our next step. Because, as I said, the previous step, as far as we were concerned, really hadn't right. been... Fully experienced yet, so that was the sort of background of writing Rise. Uh, sorry, writing Charcoal Grace on the back of um, Rise Radiant. The other, the other element of it is that we also saw a lot of things the pandemic like all of us like us us as a you know global community yeah. um which were quite hard to get past as well you know like in australia we obviously went to some of the, the most immediate and harshest lockdowns in the world which was good it kept us very immune from the from the the um the experiences of the pandemic as opposed to places like italy and stuff where it was right. you know, quite extreme quite early um, but What ended up sort of happening is, you know, we had, much like I'm sure you did here, we had like toilet paper hoarders. We had people just doing things in our quote unquote community, which just sort of threw a bit of a damper on our experience of the world. Like it was hard to sort of look at people the same way after the pandemic. And so this album was necessarily us pushing against that as well. You know, on the one hand, we've got our career ending. On the other hand, we've got this kind of very surprisingly jaded view of the world around us being a band that for so many years have sort of prized the idea of kind of positivity as a, as a fundamental quality of, you know, what we write music about. Um, So we decided that it needed to be two things. It needed to, on the one hand, be an album that reflects the time, honestly. And on the other hand, it needs to be a kind of catharsis for us, you know, like a chance to um, put everything together that we've experienced and we've felt both as individuals and as a collective and, Get it out so that we can move on. So we've joked about the album being kind of um, a, as a theme, the things we learned during the pandemic years, and hopefully it's 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 a catharsis. We we put it out into the world, and it embodies that time, so we don't have to live it anymore. And hopefully, it kind of does that for other people too. That was the that was the idea, you know.
0: Yeah. that's as usual. You guys have a very well thought out thematic. Uh, run through as far as what you're putting on the albums and everything. So I'm not surprised to hear that that's all there. And I, as you were mm. talking, I'm left wondering, like you know, when we get to see some of that less savory side of humanity when under stress, mm. as a lot of us did. And yeah, the toilet paper hoarding. Frankly, you know, I'll take the silver lining to that. Is I I now swear by the so I'm I'm cool <laughs> there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> um, but. I got to wonder what a challenge, I guess, it is in that sense when you're giving, being given more and more reasons to be jaded and, and a bit mm-hmm. cynical about humanity to continue to port forth that that effort to be positive in your outlook mm-hmm. and your output at the same time. How hard was that to do for you guys in the midst of all of that?
1: yeah i i kind of hinted before at the fact that like um in the past our back catalog really has had that shared quality of um at its foundation being quite positive you know we obviously explore a lot of dark concepts but we've always had the policy that we don't dwell on the dark at the expense of the light you know there should always be some kind of balance um for what it's worth i mean this is a there's a whole digression i guess you can go on there but it's the way i feel also about composing yeah. music you know you can't have heavy without light you know you kind of sort of dark and atonal without tonal the the more that that balance is stretched in one direction the less dramatic I find stuff sounds and the less kind of emotive so yeah. you know that that's also very much true here but as, you know as as you rightly say it was a particularly unique experience to try and have that positivity in light of the the, the sort of circumstances that we found ourselves in so we we sort of we suspended that rule a little bit, you know, there's a lot on charcoal grace, which is a lot more, um, actually I'll say a lot less preoccupied with the idea of having a positive spin. There are certain things that just state a, you know, a, a kind of a, a dark truth or a sort of lesson learned and just leave it at that. And it's the first time we ever did that, um, deliberately. You know, we sort of said, look, if we're going to try and have a positive spin on a time which, frankly, in a lot of ways just isn't positive, there's a lot of stuff that we've learned that can really not be unlearned at the end of that period. Um, In saying that, most of the album still does have a positive spin because, you know, we are hopeful people at the end of the day, but we realised that that really would have to be the contrasting element of this record um, against the backdrop of the rest of our catalogue just because uh, otherwise it would feel disingenuous, you know. It, It would feel like we're kind of making a statement that is simply untrue. Um, right. Yeah. But, but again, hopefully this acts as a catharsis for this time. And hopefully after this time, we no longer have to be thinking like that. You know, maybe we can go back to a more positive outlook. We'll see.
0: That would be very welcome. But mm-hmm. I, I, I like what you say in the terms of contrast. I've always honestly been someone who enjoys the contrast. I like dark coffee. And then I throw in vanilla creamer and, you know, or I, <laughs> yeah, and, I, I don't like to wear dark pants with a dark shirt or vice versa. I, I've always mm. somehow or other drifted towards that. And I honestly think that's that's probably one of the things I find most attractive about progressive oriented mm. rock and metal is the fact that you can have those contrasts oftentimes multiply in the middle of one song.
1: Mm. So
0: I, I think that's the one thing that takes me. But I like that idea as well, that the, the outlook, having the contrasting outlooks of you can look at the darkness, but don't forget about the light as mm. well. You know, it's it's, it's a nice message. And uh, it makes me curious as well. So talking more about charcoal grace, first thing that comes to mind, and oddly enough, the one thing I did not get to finding out before this, mostly because it slipped my mind, uh, was the the phrase charcoal grace, the term. Mm. What, what, what does that represent? Where does that come from?
1: We, we've sort of described it um, as... So well well, lyrically it's used as a kind of metaphorical i i guess sort of like a like a like a top down broad brush uh, metaphorical term for silence, mm-hmm. like this idea of silence being kind of beautiful and alluring and grim and strange, and it, really just trying to sort of find a poetic way of describing you know that incredibly complicated and wide ranging symbol, the idea of silence, which is probably the most pervasive theme on the album explored in a lot of different ways, uh, lyrically, you know, across a lot of different songs. So that that's really what it is. It's a manifestation of silence lyrically, but it was also just a phrase that felt, uh, in a poetic sense to really capture a lot of the mood of the album, the theme. So the, the short answer is it doesn't specifically mean anything, but it is used okay. to refer to silence used to kind of give it some characteristics to make it feel a little bit more, um, I guess, like anthropomorphized, I suppose you could say. Um, but uh, you know, it's also one of those phrases. At the moment you hear it, it sort of brings a lot of things to mind. I would hope, and that's that's usually what we try and do with album titles,
0: anyway. Yeah, it does. It, it's it was a very intriguing title, I think, in my mind. Now, mm-hmm. my daughter was very artistically inclined, went to art classes and all that, um, mostly so she could become a tattoo artist, which was the mm-hmm. original goal. And then she moved away from that. But <laughs> oh, yeah. nonetheless, charcoal. The first thing that came to my mind was you know the artistic use of charcoal. Believe it or not. Mm-hmm. Mm. Imagine there's probably a lot of other folks out there that might poke me in the side. go, Dave, grilling mm. barbecue. No, sorry. No, I'm thinking. Art. <laughs> I had an artistic daughter. That's the first thing that came to mind. But it, it gave me that idea of of the darker palette, along mm. with the concept of grace, which, as you said, is is
1: mm. it
0: it's in my mind a concept of light again. Which yeah, well, that's that, part of the be, reason it came I to my I mind to ask that. as well as so you were talking about that. I thought, oh, is that mm. what the title means? No. <laughs> no, well, the, the thing is, like, because obviously the, the
1: idea of like the, the, the medium of charcoal or the yeah. artistic medium was, was something that we discussed as well. I think my, my, my simplest takeaway, like outside of the lyrical use in the song Vigil, is the idea that charcoal is kind of the wake of something, you know, it's, mm. it's the end of a fire the end of end of a blaze right and it's like the beauty in the end of something which again is sort of how it's tied i suppose to the image of silence but um i i mean to be perfectly honest because because the thing is i'm a very analytical person like both in a kind of literary and musical sense and sometimes i also like to try and remove myself from these readings because again my you know I, I will continue to do them it's just what <laughs> i'm inclined to do but there's something beautiful about just letting a phrase wash over you as well you know and that's um that's what appealed to me about that one when um when jim pitched it
0: yeah very cool so i know that rise radiant was very very critically acclaimed i, I think you're going to mm. see similar success with this one as well because i think it builds on that but i know that you were also in the in the bit of changing up the way in which you composed and, mm. and that you were inviting everybody in the band to contribute more. Mm. Um, And I'm curious if that's something that has continued uh, or is it something, or did things shift around a little bit in the intervening Mm. almost four years we're going close to at this point?
1: We 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 kind of had to go back to the drawing board in some some ways. Right. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a little bit. I'm gonna preamble just a moment before I answer <laughs> the question directly. I do promise I'll get to it. But um, we, we we did have to change a few things up. Like like I said, we we started the creation of this album in a, in a very bad place creatively. Yeah. Like we really struggled to just begin the next step of writing, and so we kind of had this formative step, um, which we don't normally have where we basically just collected a bunch of musical ideas entirely abstracted from songs. Now, when I say we don't normally do that, I guess it's worth giving that a little bit of context. Like the, the, the normal approach that we take to writing is I'll usually come up with a small portion of music, usually kind of fleshed out with some element of an arrangement. So we've got a feel and a direction. And then Jim and I will workshop uh, melodies and then eventually lyrics over that section so that then that section can inspire sort of what surrounds it you know either before or after in the song which is a little bit different than a lot of bands a lot of bands especially in metal tend to sort of do a you often see that bottom-up kind of approach like you know write the music add the lyrics i much prefer the idea that things influence one another in composition you know i get really excited when jim's got like the line charcoal grace like a line that can then sort of inspire me to play around with some other musical ideas turn some dials and you know hopefully create something that has this holistic connection between those two elements. So with that preamble out of the way, um, we had to to just collect a bunch of ideas because we didn't know stylistically where we were going to go with this. We really had no clue whatsoever. Um, So we did that for probably a few months until things started coming together and started to present a, a, a course for the record, which we identified reasonably early on as being a little bit more thoughtful, a little bit more protracted, And not afraid of getting far darker than we have in the past, as I kind of hinted at before. Once we have that direction, the approach was actually not that dissimilar from Rise Radiant. So I did a lot of writing sessions with, um, I'd get Josh over into my little studio or Dale over, we'd just kind of sit down and just throw some ideas around and show them what I'm working on, get some thoughts. And as a result, we have, I don't know the exact breakdown, but um, a lot of, a lot of co-writes on the record in fact the world breathes with me i believe i might be wrong about this i think it's actually the first song that has all band members have a writer's credit uh, you know simultaneously um so you know what while it was still an album that was principally kind of jim and my you know like collaboration um the the, the guys are increasingly having more of a hand on that and i love it because you know When it comes to album writing time, I just disappear for hundreds of hours until (laughs) sort of things form themselves. So having some people to bounce stuff off and, you know, having some ideas injected into that pool is just fantastic. And I think um, we were all really on the same page once we got past that formative period. So it wasn't like there was any, how how do I put it lightly? You know, you can have a lot of collaborative um, ventures where things just feel like they're, uh, a hodgepodge of different ideas mm-hmm. that don't really have any kind of common thread. That yeah. was not the case here. we all we all knew what we were going for, and you know as a result, it was easy to find easy to easy to find ideas yeah. that work together and so forth.
0: That's nice. it's it's not so it's not so easy to find that kind of cohesive synergy mm. with a group of people, especially with two that have had a long-standing writing partnership. And then you bring some new people in. So it it strikes me as a very, I think, lucky thing to to hear that you, you know, more people come into the mix and it just seemed to just be adding a few more flavors to the stew. Yeah. I I think
1: think lucky is the word because, you know, like I'm, I'm very fortunate that our band is an incredibly tight unit now, like not, not as, not just tight as a band. I mean, like tight as a, you know, group of friends and, and, and um, sort of uh, collaborators, but um the the thing is like i have known dale for example since before the band was formed you know we went to yeah. to uni together um like college i don't know if you guys use the <laughs> word uni in the us yeah I can't, you know, can say for
0: everybody, everybody but i do <laughs> yes
1: yeah, wait we went to college together and you know we've written songs together over the years and stuff and of course josh has been uh, you know a member of the band since um the in contact years the early writing of that so it's not like they um add themselves to to the writing and then suddenly I'm being pulled in different directions. They kind of appreciate the process we take and both of them are really good at just integrating themselves kind of into that. So, you know, I get the most of their creative input and they get the most of, providing that creative input it never feels like there's any of this any you know kind of unnecessary tension as a result so um yeah it's you know it, it's 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 very fulfilling I mean much like all of our artistic endeavors it took a while on this album to get there but once we got there it, it was it was you know as easy as any other album like once it started feeling like we were we we're creating something that was meaningful and beautiful to us it, it starts to flow
0: nice yeah i I, I think probably the problems that occur when there are creative collaborations is that some people can maybe get a little defensive of their own ideas and a little protective mm-hmm. of their space and that makes mm-hmm. the collaboration more difficult and eventually contentious and at Absolutely. least with the impression i get from you at this point in time you're going hey it's more stuff to mix in it's more feedback great mm-hmm. give it to me you know and yeah and totally Creates a, such a healthier environment, I think
1: it does. It so I think it comes from um, it comes from the confidence that we have in the approach that we take. You know, like for for a lot of people, because I, I I I teach at, at uni college. You know, right. I, I, I teach at the conservatorium here, and we coach a lot of you know teenage songwriters, uh, many of whom come in as people who have really never engaged in collaboration before. You know, I, I get to see that kind of every every day of my experience and. Uh, the thing is, I think back to when I started this band, especially around the kind of the Tide, Thief, and Rivers End era when Jim and I were really working out our writing partnership. And I remember we would be at each other's throat constantly, you know, like we, we'd, we'd, we'd almost get to, to fists over ideas sometimes. <laughs> um, but, you know, over the years, like it, Jim and I particularly have developed a trust in our collaboration. If someone, you know, really doesn't like an idea, cool. You're not just going to say that. That's something that's going to come up because it's important. And what's awesome is that like being that confident in our approach and that comfortable in our approach, it means that when other people come in to, you know, add things to it or to, to offer their, their criticisms or their directions or their, you know, their ideas for the way a song could go, it never really feels like it comes with the kind of, um, I guess, for lack of better words, I'm I'm sort of simplifying here, but the kind of ego that makes collaboration, you know, quite tense at some times, I, th- I think we all just trust each other. I think trust is really the key to something like that working, you know, so that we don't feel like there's any ulterior motives. So I want to get my idea through or something like that. Um, it's a lot more, a lot, a lot more relaxed than that. But the point I was getting at is it yeah. wasn't always that way.
0: <laughs> you know, we had, to, we had to get there. It, it took some building. And, and maybe that's exactly what happened is between you and Jim working on your end of that collaboration is that by the time you really got good at it, adding Mm. people to the mix became a lot easier.
1: Yeah, it just felt natural.
0: Yeah, nice. So I'm hearing a lot of the challenges you've encountered on the way to completing Charcoal Grace. I'm also curious, with challenges, there often come opportunities. So I'm Mm. wondering what kind of things maybe came up that expected and unexpected that, that were different this time around for you.
1: I, I think the, the entire premise behind the record was was something that forced us outside of our comfort zone. Um I mean it's worth saying that one of the one of the fundamental ideas of Caligula's horse, like as a, you know, as a kind of entity that begins writing albums every few years is that we try and contrast what we've done in the past. Like that's a kind of rule. You know, each album has some reflection of its it, it, it's its previous um, incarnation, but it, usually it's done very deliberately in a way that sort of puts us in a you know a strange place as artists. I'm a big believer. I guess slight side note, although it provides context. To this I'm a big believer in the idea that um, if you don't set limitations in creating an artistic product, it can tend to be quite pedestrian. Like I really like putting stuff up that will challenge me, so that when I start building, you know, the musical ideas, the artistic ideas that sort of create the album. Um, I have to dig a little bit deeper. You know, I can't just do the thing I did in the previous album and get away with it. So the, the the challenge of the pandemic years, both that kind of extrinsic challenge I was describing and just the internal challenge of us as a band trying to work out what we're doing, that was considerable. That was something that took a bit to get over. But when we did get over it, it sort of automatically set a course for some of the the, the creative elements, which was challenging enough that I was – well, I had to, had to fight against it, and thus felt very artistically inspired to do so. You know, so one of those things being the idea that if we are exploring these darker, and um, in a lot of sense, uh, a lot of ways, like more sophisticated kind of themes, like you know, trying to blend our internal struggle with an external struggle as a um, as a kind of overarching concept of the record, we would need to be more uh, thoughtful and spacious in our approach to music, and would need to be able to move between. Different moods, um, which themselves probably have a characteristic that's a lot more, uh, a lot more kind of, what's the word I'm looking for here? Like polarized than they may have been in the past. Like it's very hard to go from something kind of soft and light and gentle to something. Almost atonal and, and and discordant, without it feeling like a zigzag of ideas, and that's one of my pet peeves in, in progressive metal. I I love the the drama and the fact that you can create contrasts, but I really can't stand things that feel like it's just kind of stuck together ideas. You know, not accusing anyone of that, but it is it, it can be a bit of a trope sometimes in prog. Um, so I, I guess the 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 point I'm getting at here is the, the foundation of the album, the themes made us have to get better at those things anyway you know Mm. otherwise we just wouldn't be able to communicate what we were trying to communicate so you know hard time to write an album hard album to write but i'm pretty stoked with how far it sort of pushed us in a lot of those directions
0: and if when you're talking conceptual albums of this type does it add extra layers of challenge in terms of track listing in, in terms of deciding the order i mean obviously if you've got something like the wall that's telling a story it's helpful to have it be in at least something resembling Chronology. you know uh, <laughs> we're looking for chronological order there otherwise it can get confusing and lord knows mm-hmm. that that album in itself can be confusing in and of itself <laughs> uh especially to a fifth grader who was hearing it for the first time so who am i talking yeah, about oh i don't know could be me and <laughs> So I'm curious how much does that add to the challenge or is it a matter of more the the soundscapes that you're creating that that lend towards putting the songs in the order they're in cuz I can't help but note mm-hmm. and I'm curious the intent behind it that whether it'll be revealed to me when I can see the lyrics or catch up with them is two very long songs bookend mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. album and part of me says there's half decent chance that's intentional but that could be over reading into it Mm -hmm. very very much so I, i mean
1: for what it's worth sequencing tends to be tends to be kind of a challenge anyway with you know with music like ours where we do have things in drastically different keys and tempos and feels and you know i i like the idea that an album can be listened to from start to finish i mean this is a long record that might be demanding a little bit much of the audience but um that that's certainly what we sequence for, you know, with the idea that this is, this is an experience that you have from start to finish, but to get into some of the more specifics um, the world breathes with me, the opener and then mute the closer are kind of paired songs. Like they, they share a lot of musical motifs Mm -hmm. and a lot of themes, even if they're not exactly, They're they're certainly not like a part one and part two, they, they, they are just alike, you know, they're kin Um, for what it's worth they were actually conceived very differently throughout the writing. So there was a period where I was going to have the world Breathes with me as track two and mute was going to just be like a short intro starting with that vocal kind of cappella section, which then built into the song. But as I started playing with those ideas, I realized that there was just enough thematic material there was actually let me rephrase that there was too much thematic material to just throw into like an intro and then a 10 minute tune um and i thought it was it was meaningful enough like you know kind of just as as parts of a piece of music meaningful enough to see how far i could i could sort of um you know work work through them like how 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 much i could get out of them how, how how dramatic i could make them so after i started workshopping that um we realised that mute really had a character all its own that was sort of worth, you know, digging into, but they never stopped being related in terms of the motivic parts or the musical parts that they share. So we decided if they weren't going to be um, seamlessly connected because we we wanted to have the suite in the middle, which I suppose is a, another conversation. Um, it would make sense for them to be on either extreme of the album. So the end of mute actually fades directly back into the start of breathe. And you can kind of create this kind of cyclic listening environment. Um, But it's also, I I mean, maybe it's less obvious to, to, to some listeners. In fact, maybe some listeners never even think about this, but I actually love the idea of playing on familiarity. Like if you listen to the album for the first time, you might get a sense listening to mute that there are certain things that you can't quite place them, but they are, they're they're similar. They, you know, they, they, they feel familiar. Um, And of course it's because, you know, we, we seeded them 50 minutes ago um, in terms of the ideas that, that hit your ear back then and that your subconscious took on. I love playing with that kind of thing, even if, you know, it might feel like a very small um, insignificant quality to some, I get really excited about it. Um, The rest of the sequencing, once we decided that the suite was going to be in the middle was actually kind of logical because, you know, we needed to break up some of the loftiness Unfortunately, fortunately we had two kind of single-esque songs in the storm chaser and golem which created a bit of space like it wasn't quite as demanding on the listener if that, if that makes sense so you know we knew it made sense to kind of bookend the bigger songs with those bookend isn't really the right word let's say um you know uh, kind of uh, occupy the middle ground between those longer pieces of music um and of course sales and the storm chaser also share musical material so we wanted them to be able to kind of seamlessly connect you know as i'm saying this i feel like there's actually a way simpler answer to this question which is <laughs> we couldn't really do much with the sequencing we 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 kind of had to do what, what we had to do because <laughs> there was so much material that was you know shared between pieces of music that we wanted to be appreciated in that in that way um as for the suite um that that one was actually a little bit more obvious i think because mm-hmm. You know, the, the prog trope is that you want to have the last song as, you know, the the the, the big, long exploratory song mm-hmm. that is listened to in one go, the kind of side length song trope. Yeah, um, and we deliberately cool. just wanted to break away from that. You know, we did that in in, in um, 2017 with In Contact with the song Graves. And this is so different to that fundamentally in almost every compositional sense that we wanted it to feel different also in the way you consume it, like the way you listen to it. So the middle of the album made perfect sense. Um, the only problem we ran into was how do you sequence a vinyl and make that make sense, which mm-hmm. forced me to make sure the song didn't go over 24 minutes. or so the sweet rather didn't go over 24 minutes. And I'm not kidding. Like there was actually a point yeah. writing that song where we had to sit down and go like, shit if we don't stop this thing if i don't work out a way to wrap this up we're not going to be able to release an lp or we're going to have to split up the suite over sides which would be horrible um so that was kind of a foregone conclusion as well in the place that it would be on the album as a result so hopefully that gives you some insight i realized how chaotic that answer became as i started digging into it and realizing how complicated the decision was but it seemed quite intuitive as we were doing it you know
0: no it it I, I honestly wouldn't call it chaotic at all it, it's it especially when you talk about something that part of my brain says wait i thought we didn't have to care about how long a side was anymore oh wait mm-hmm. yes we do because people are collecting that, that,
1: that was the we one to totally
0: non-artistic <laughs> choice we yeah. had we had to, to fight against. yeah literally till you said that just now it had not even occurred to me to think in those terms in this mm. day and age so the fact that there are so many different considerations there, certainly one gives me some insight into the potential challenges mm. of putting an album together and deciding what goes where when it doesn't flow in a chronological order. But it also, it, it, it again, it, it for me talking to you now, it just puts on display once again the thoughtfulness, the depth of mm. thoughtfulness then upon which you approach all of your work and that these things are going on in the head. And now I'm going to be looking for those repeating motifs Mm. within the music, because I I live for that stuff right there. Like I, I me too, me too. You know, like I, I I mean, um, I'm such a musician wannabe. I (laughs) really am. So the, the concepts and, and the ideas behind putting it all together, it just fascinates me. So, and if I hadn't Mm. been such a lazy ass as a kid, I probably would have been a musician, but
1: (laughs) no doubt. Instead, I'm just going to sit there and adore them. Yeah. Well, th- there is one other one other element that's probably worth just adding as a slight addendum to that answer, which is that it, although this is a conceptual album, like it, you know, it has a bunch of very distinct sort of concept themes at its foundation, we don't have that problem that the wall has or the problem that we had when we did the Tide of the Thief and Rivers End in um, 2013, mm-hmm. where it is a narrative and thus has to have that chronology to it. Like this is a bunch of discrete ideas that all share a common theme or, or revolve around – I guess a common experience. That's that's the way we've been kind of summing it up. So that that makes it much easier. Like you know, it, it, in the past when we've sequenced something like the Tide, the Thief and the River's End, we really did have to pay attention to how the story unfolds, and that's a that, that's a kind of different challenge. So we we got to avoid that challenge this time. But you know, that's not to say that it made it that much easier, as as I, as I said.
0: All kinds of different challenges. And and what I was saying, you mentioned yeah. Storm Chaser. I know I'd a made a particular note of that one. There's. Mm um a mid section in there where uh, there's a vocal mixing and I, mm. I don't know mm. i don't know if it's overdubs because the voices sound similar enough to me in the first listen yeah. that or it's backing vocals but it's really kind of cool because it's like you know so here I mean, there that, and they're moving around
1: that was one of the funnest that was actually one of the funnest sections to produce and i remember it was one that we we really struggled with like storm chaser was Perhaps the last song we wrote for the record, actually, it might have been Some of Charcoal Grace, but it was one of the later, later, greater parts. And I remember we were really struggling with this idea of like, how do you kind of build a a bridge that gets away from a repeat of a chorus so we don't just. Feel like we're kind of doing this verse chorus verse chorus alternation which we generally try and uh, avoid at least the idea of it feeling like a copy pasted section which is quite common in sort of pop music but yeah. you know in music like ours we want a little bit more anyway i digress again because i can't <laughs> help myself but um th- that section yeah so so the idea was that we've got all of these overlapping vocals but then in a production sense i've also I, I also did like a bunch of kind of vocodery things and some really digitally manipulated vocals, like all of this cool stuff that kind of makes it feel a little bit otherworldly. Which hopefully was the, was the experience you had. Um, the album as a whole, and, and and sorry, I know I'm going a little bit beyond uh, you know the original comment, but like the uh, album as a whole is really one where we explored the space of the vocals probably a lot more than we have in the past. Like there are certain parts where the vocals are quite quiet or they're amongst the other instruments. Much like that section you you point out there where, you know, you, you listen in headphones and you get this lush interaction of all of the instruments where when you focus on something, you're hopefully immersed in everything around it as well. But that was really one where I just, the, the artistic license of, you know, we've gone from having a really lead vocally verse and we've got a really lead vocally chorus coming up let's just see what we can do with the voice to make it feel strange and, you know, exciting and, and, and somewhat alien. Um, so I'm really glad you point out that section because it's, it's one that we had a lot of fun with and I really like how it came out.
0: Yeah. Uh, it stands out. Absolutely. was one of those moments where that caught my attention. I, I long for the days and, and I've made a commitment to myself that I'm doing this year a little bit differently and I'll explain in a moment, but I long mm-hmm. for the days when I was, you know, a teenager, and I could afford maybe an album or two a month and I'd get Mm -hmm. one. And first thing I'm doing is I'm home looking at the lyric sheet, reading along with the songs. I learned them (laughs) reading all the liner notes and things like that. Like I read every single word that was on those things. Yeah. And I got to, you know, then I'm driving in the car to school or wherever and listening to the music. And I would really get to the point where, you know, a song came up that I've heard maybe four times in the last 30 years. And Mm -hmm. yet, note for note, can sing along to it, word for Mm -hmm. word, maybe a couple trip ups here and there, because I maybe don't remember which in that moment, but I I correct immediately. And I'm going, I don't know what part of my brain is capable of doing that, while the other part of my brain, you know, doesn't remember what I had for lunch today. But I want (laughs) to. see if I can replicate that a little bit this year, because I've got so much coming at me anymore. Like I'll hear all this, oh, that's great, that's great, I'm playing along, with, and I'm almost always doing something else while mm. I'm listening to it. So that's mm. one of the reasons where it, it comes to mind to say this, is that part of Storm Chaser stood out for me in mm. the midst of my brain doing two activities at once, as it often the does. Things. So I've, I've made this commitment to myself that I'm going to try about once, I'm going to pick one album each month, that I'm just going to try and see how much I can immerse myself into it, Mm. listening to it without other things going on and read. And, and, and I've, I've decided that I'm going to start that with charcoal grace. So, and, and just, you know, see if at some point in time, this, this brain still has the capability (laughs) uh, of remembering music to the depth that I used to, because I love that part of it. And that's why I love complex music because it, bears repeat listening there's almost something Mm. new to find all the time so that's that's my digression but
1: (laughs) it's yeah it's well it's really funny i mean like as you say that i hadn't thought about it for years but i absolutely i consumed music in exactly that way as a you know as as a teenager early 20 year old before it started becoming um as you say like a secondary activity heading off to work you know listening to a record and the truth is that like I, I, I'm glad you said this because I'm, I'm almost feeling a bit self-conscious about my own approach to this now too. Like my experience of music does tend to be, I'll, you know, grab Apple music and just check out, you know, the new X album when it comes out. And that tends to be kind of the limit of it. Like sometimes I'll dig in a little bit deeper when I can. Often I find it's like, if I'm, you know, chucking like my AirPods or something in like something that actually lets me have a really nice sort of quiet, nice listen. Yeah. That isn't just my studio experience. Um, and, you know, I'll maybe dig a bit deeper. But, you know, gone are the days of having the, the liner notes, the lyrics, like that full immersive experience. I think I might have to make a similar pledge because, man, I, I forgot how much I love doing that. It was it was yeah. a huge part of my musical upbringing.
0: There's nothing I loved more than seeing certain session musicians popping up in multiple albums here and there. I mean, mm. only in liner notes would I've ever learned the name Pino Palladino. Yeah. Yeah, you know or mel collins who i was so Mm. thrilled to see pop up again this year in the fusion syndicate album i'm like oh my god mel collins is still out there playing sax and all these bands brought back sax this year i I don't know if that was a plan i don't know if it's it's what some convergence or what happened but i was so happy to hear saxophone popping up Mm. and like at least a half dozen songs this year when i feel like i haven't heard it that many in in 20 years
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, you know, there's a there's a there's a bigger observation as well, like this idea that um we've probably never really had a period of music that, you know, that there's so much quality, kind of detailed, interesting and 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 you know, very artistically driven music. And yet it seems very rare for people to actively listen to music nowadays. Yeah. So, you know, maybe anyone listening to this good excuse to chuck their headphones on and get the liner notes out. <laughs> Um, I'm going to be doing it. You've, you've inspired me. I'm, I'm
0: inspired. There you go. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> so, and before I forget, you guys, of course, have the tour coming up mm. this time, back in or going up back, but getting to the US this time. Uh, go try it again yeah. starting January 31st, if I'm not mistaken, in uh, DC. Right. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, man, I, t- to say I'm excited about this is such an understatement. I mean, we obviously had the 2020 um, tour on the back of Rise Radiant. Yeah you know like basically just fall apart we sort of pushed hopefully towards it as long as we could until it just became obvious that it wasn't going to work um we've been to the states twice um just for the prog power festival in atlanta which you know has always just been an unbelievable reception like uh, you know we know very well from our little metrics and statistics that you know the, the u.s is by far our biggest audience and you know we, we we hear from people in the states literally every week about you know how slack we've been not getting there i mean it was pretty hard through the pandemic but you know to to, to finally be coming and to sort of see all of this actually finally followed through after you know almost four years of of, of kind of waiting for it for, for, for the, it seems like the stars to align even though that's not the case. It's just been a set of global catastrophes that have sort of stopped yeah. it. Um, I, I, I am, I am so excited. Like, you know, I I don't think I've ever been more excited in the lead up to a tour.
0: Cool. Yeah. And, and you guys picked excellent tour mates in Earthside. So that's God,
1: they're great. It's they? so good.
0: It's going yeah, to be a banger of a show. So uh, oh, I, yeah. I will say uh, I'm, unless somebody else gets added to the bill somewhere that I don't expect, which could happen and where I see <laughs> you guys are coming, but I will say it'll be the first time I can, I can honestly say I went to a show where I've interviewed somebody, a member of every band playing.
1: Yeah. Nice. Come close. Yeah. I, I had
0: two out of three once, but
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, we, we, I guess we'll see. Like we're, we're probably not going to be, it's probably just going to be the two of us. I think we, we're excited yeah. by that idea just in terms of the way the show feels and, and all mm-hmm, that kind yeah. of stuff. But no, love Earthside. An, amazing band. Very, very um unique artistic vision.
0: Yeah. yeah. You guys are going to fill that room. That that's, That space is not capable of holding both of you. (laughs) Awesome, (laughs) so it's going to be great. So, anywhere in particular in the U.S. you're looking forward to going to? Uh, Yeah, like bucket list places you're going to visit.
1: Like the thing is we, cause, cause I'm a, I'm a incorrigible tourist. Like, you know, I, I, I love, I love going on tour as much just to, to to check out the cities. And, you know, it's worth saying, like when you have that experience of, of, of touring to see places for the first time, you get a wonderful ground level view that you don't often do. You don't often get as like just a pure tourist. Um But I think I'm not even going to pick any individual place. I mean, there are so, tons of cities that I, I am just really excited to finally go to, but, I just want to see what the U S is like. I've never got to do that, you know, to Europe so many times to, you know, to other places. Like I I just can't wait to spend three weeks getting my head around the USA.
0: Nice. Yeah. Well, very cool. We'll be very happy to have you. I kind of have that travel bug myself (laughs) someday. I, I I hope to be brave enough to go Australia. Um, (laughs) everything there can kill you. You know, yeah but you know I, I it usually won, as long as you care. <laughs> oh i mean you don't don't come
1: up our way if you don't like big spiders though no. i mean like uh yeah. even last night there was one probably the size of my hand on that wall directly behind i don't know where he is but it's yeah, probably oh, amongst those guitar <laughs> cases back there and i'll pick something up and you know get it crawl up me or something but they're harmless they don't they don't hurt you they're just huge <laughs> <laughs> which is probably no you know those small no small
0: consolation i'll get i'll get disemboweled by a koala or something crazy like that <laughs> what i figure will happen but now someday I'm, I'm getting there i i know it but uh i hope you have a blast in the u.s you know see as much as you can you know it, it looks Absolutely. like it's going to be a really fun tour uh the album sounds great so far and i'm gonna it's gonna be my deep dive my first one of 2024 of and i wish you the best i hope it is massively successful it, and think about it you're, you're touring two albums basically on this on this yeah. one tour. so a lot of people are going to be able to hear a lot of music live for the first time
1: mm, mm, that's the hope i'll tell you what it has not been an easy set list to prune as a result <laughs> but, um, <laughs> no i can't wait and thank you so much it um it means a lot
0: oh absolutely thank you very much for joining me tonight appreciate it you you have a good rest of your day. I'm, I'm going to go to bed.
1: (laughs) Nice. Good night. I'll, um, (laughs) I'll, I'll I'll talk to you sometime soon. No doubt. might see you in the States. Make sure you stay hi.
0: Yep. I will. Absolutely. I'll see you in Philly. Maybe see what happens. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. See ya. What a fun interview. I love how thoughtful and and how deep Sam goes into the work that he does with the band. It's amazing to hear him just break it all down and, and really give you a lot of great insights into it. Uh, Sam, I want to thank you very much for your time, and talking to me is really great talking with you. Uh, I hope we get to do it again in the near future, and I look forward to seeing you guys when you come around my area in February. Should be a wonderful show with both you and Earthside. That's a banger right there. It's a show not to be missed. Those of you out there watching, the album comes out January 26th, Charcoal Grace, the tour begins January 31st in D.C. and then all across the U.S. this will be Caligula Horse's first time touring in the U.S. because as you heard, <laughs> the last time got pretty well scuppered thanks to the wonderful effects of COVID so uh, looking forward to that and once again Sam, uh, thank you very much for your time. Best wishes for the album and for the tour. I imagine they're both going to be really successful here but from what I've heard so far what I'm seeing in terms of the tour, it's gonna be a hot ticket. So good luck to you and the rest of the band members. Thank you all. And hey, if you've been watching all this, thank you very much for joining us. Do me a favor, hit the like and subscribe, follow along, hit the bell, so you know when I'm dropping new content. Social media links are in the description, as is the link for The Expanse, my live 365 channel, which is all prog, rock and metal all the time. The classic to the modern, the mellow to the metal got it all there. Go check it out. You might enjoy that. And of course, if you want to dig into my backlog of interviews, you can find them either here on YouTube or you can find them wherever you find podcasts under Bleeding Edge Interviews. So thanks once again for joining me. Appreciate everybody and appreciate Sam Ballin of Caligula's Force for joining me. That's all I've got for now. This is Super Dave signing off.